So we're talking about, we're, we're in a series entitled Trouble with the Curve. And I guess the whole motivation for me was, is that, you know, we've got this message that we believe in. We, we've got this message of hope that we believe about Jesus. And we believe that it's a message of hope that God's given to everybody in the entire world. And yet so many people, millions of people, in fact, even billions of people have no interest in it. And my question is, how can we have such a gospel that is so powerful, and yet it seems to be so ineffective in reaching real people? And I'm convinced that part of the reason is because we have an enemy that is incredibly good at what he does, which is to lie, steal, and kill, right? He takes all of these things captive in people's hearts and blinds them to their reality. But I think part of the issue is, is that we as a church just haven't done a very good job of being real people around our real neighbors and our real coworkers. And... They haven't seen a lot of life change. They see us go to church. They see us do those kind of things. But I'm not sure that they often see us handle the same issues of life with any difference than they do. And I, and I, and I do believe that the Bible talks about us being light and salt, being difference makers in a world that needs it. And I think that part of that is, is how do you and I as believers in Jesus live out our faith in a way that makes it possible for us to deal with life's curveballs because there's nobody in here and there's nobody watching online that hasn't had a curveball thrown at them in the last year or two. Would you agree with that church? Right? Unexpected things happen. We are not prepared for them and they can knock us down for a season. But how do those of us who claim to have hope in the resurrected Jesus, a Jesus who said, be of good cheer, right? I've overcome the world. How do we live that out in a way that makes a difference to our children? I mean, we're losing, we're losing a generation of people just by not getting our children to believe in the power of the gospel. And how is that possible when we're here every Sunday or Saturday or Tuesday or Wednesday that we're traveling the globe on mission trips, right? There's got to be a piece missing. And I think that part of it is, is that the one thing we all have in common is this, that it rains on the just and the unjust. Trouble doesn't avoid you or I because we're Christians. Can I get an amen? Irrespective of what the health and wealth gospel teaches, right? There's no distinction between us and anybody else when it comes to the troubles of this world. We all, we all have them. And so we talked about our first week together when we talked about this series, we talked about the struggle, right? This stronghold that we live in, that, that you and I have the ability at times to create narratives that lock us in to a certain way of life. Words have meanings. Can I get an amen? And when you say certain words, right, you then are forced to live within the box of the meaning of those words, right? If you call somebody crazy, Right? You've told them certain things about them, and everything about that word puts that person in a box. Right? My buddies, if you say that, because all of my buddies are Cardinal fans, and if I tell them I'm a, or they say something about me being a Cub fan, as Joe generally does, that comes with all of these words, right, that limit my ability to be intelligent in their world, right? Because you can't be a cup down and be smart, right? That's their, their mindset. Words have meanings. And here's the thing. Nobody in your life says more words to you about who you are, what you deserve, how you're disappointed, where you're let down than you do. You create the best narrative about your life of anybody else in the world. And part of the struggle is, is we then live in those narratives. 
right? Now, this is the way life treats me because I deserve it. This is the way it's always been for me. It's never going to get any better. Nobody cares about me. You start saying those words long enough, that narrative becomes a stronghold. Do you understand that, church? Right? We're living in a world today where we're seeing that more readily because of cell phones and social media, where people are living within the bounds of the power of those words. And those strongholds become everything that limit us to believe what the Bible tells about us in the gospel of Jesus. And then we talked last week about the power of truth and deceit, right? Listen, we are a people who are prone to be selfish. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? Right? This might be the most unselfish group in the church. Thank you for coming, right? We tend to be selfish, right? And the, here's the problem. The Bible teaches as its premise that our salvation came to us as a gift from God because Jesus put us and our needs before himself and his needs. Can I get an amen? In lieu of that, he said this, you and I should consider others more important than ourselves. Anybody in here struggle with that? Nobody over here, right? Nobody, right? We all struggle with that. And here's the thing. The minute we change the order and it's me first, others second, all of a sudden now we're susceptible to lies, right? We're susceptible to them. We talked last week. Listen, the devil's a great liar. He's the father of lies. The Bible says there's no truth in him, right? So when you and I get the order out of whack as followers of Jesus, and listen, if you're here tonight, you're watching online tonight, you don't know Jesus, can't tell you how glad we are that you're here. My journey included a year of going to church without being a believer, and people loved me no matter what. We want to do the same thing for you. But for those of you who here or online are followers of Jesus Christ, we've been commanded to live our life in a certain order. So whether it has to do with your wife or your husband, your child, your neighbor, your coworker, your enemy, Jesus gives us a mandate for order. Others first, me second. Say it with me. Others first, me second. You see, here's the power of our narratives. The power of our narratives often change the order and it becomes me first, others second. And the minute the order changes, the devil has a foothold to lie to you. And he is a great liar, right? The minute he lies to us and infiltrates our mind, our emotions can be set off like a rocket ship, can't they? We can get angry. We can get bitter. We can get unforgiving, right? We can get all of the people leave church all the time because I'm never going back to church. Well, why? Because the church hurt me. I can guarantee you the reason the church hurt you is because you came to church with the order out of whack. Hardly anybody's ever left the church who came to church and said, I'm going to put everybody else in front of me. I'm going to put them first, me second. I'm not saying you don't get hurt because we're people. Can I get an amen? Right? But people who have the order right rarely get hurt enough to leave the church because they believe in the order. But lots of people leave the church when the order is messed up because they hurt me. Well, what'd they do to you? And then they tell their story. And it's almost always based on a poor order. So last week we talked about the power of truth, right? We talked about the power of truth. The Bible says this, if you know the truth, finish it, the truth will... Listen, part of our struggle in my mind in dealing with just life's curveballs is that so many of us are just in bondage to something that's not true. We're just in bondage to it. 
And that's the way the devil works. Because listen, Paul said this, it is for freedom. Everybody say the word freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Do not let yourself be taken back into that bondage. And yet, every weekend here, every Tuesday here, every Wednesday here, every time people join us online, there are people who listen who live in bondage. They live in bondage to their narrative. They live in bondage to the fact that they've changed the order and now the devil has an amazing lie to tell you. And there's no freedom in enjoying Jesus. And then in the middle of all of that, life throws a curveball. You lose your job. Or you're afraid you're going to lose your job. Or your marital status changes. A relationship ends. A cancer diagnosis comes. Somebody in your family you know and love loses a baby or can't get pregnant. Right? Life just comes and it comes and it comes and it comes. And if you and I as believers in Jesus set free by the power of Christ's resurrection into the gospel to live in that freedom, have these terrible narratives, have switched the order, are now entrapped by the lie of the devil, there's no joy in Mudville. How is it that we then can lead our own children to the light and the joy of Jesus? How can we lead our neighbors that way? How can we lead our... We can't. But we keep dragging ourselves to church, right? Got to come to church. Got to be here. Got to read my Bible, right? I think, there's, I think there's more for us in our relationship with Jesus. Would you agree with that, church? There's more for us. So let's talk about the curveball, right? If you've ever tried to hit a curveball thrown at you playing baseball, right? The first thing you got to understand is the curveball is built on deceit. When that ball comes to you and you're standing in the batter's box and it looks like it's going to hit you, you've got to know... You've got to know this, that ball is a liar because it's not going to hit you, right? And a lot of people who have no trust in that duck, step out of the way. And then the next thing you know, the umpire screams, strike one, right? Because the curveball is about to see. So is the curveballs of life. But the other thing you got to do to be successful in hitting a curveball is you got to wait. Everybody say the word wait. Show... Show of hands, how many of you are good at waiting? Two people said yes. And one person, one person was so good at waiting, they went, right? Like, they didn't even keep their hand up, right? We're just not very good at it. And yet, Scripture is replete with admonitions to wait. Let's just read a few Scriptures together. Skip the Isaiah passage. Let's go straight to the Psalms, if you don't mind, David. I'm going to read five Psalms to you real quick here just to give you an idea. And this is just a a small sample size of all the verses that talk about waiting. You ready, David? Right after Isaiah is the Psalm passages. Psalm 62, 5. I see a lot of heads shaking. You got it? Psalm 62, 5. All right. Let Let me read it to you. Psalm chapter 62. I'm glad I went and got my Bible now. Verse 5. Here's what the psalmist writes about waiting. Got it? There you go. All right. You got the rest of them too? All right. Here we go. It says, yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope, that, that, uh, you're going to see the word hope because the NIV translates it poorly. The Hebrew word is the word wait. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. 
my hope, right, or my waiting comes from him. The next one, Psalm chapter 37, verse 7, says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. How about Psalm 130, 5 and 6? says this, Psalm chapter 130, you got that one? Verses 5 and 6, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than a watchman who wait for the morning, more than watchmen who wait for the morning. How about Psalm 25, verse 5? Psalm 25, verse 5, the writer says this, Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior. And my hope, my hope is in you all day long. And then Psalm 3330. Psalm 3330, the writer says this. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. We can go on and on. The psalmist has it all over, right? Wait, wait, wait. Wait with your whole being. Wait on the Lord. Wait on Him because we trust His Word. Listen, I don't know what you know about our culture, but this is not a culture. Ours is not a culture built on waiting, is it? It's just not. I mean, with technology... Being at the forefront of just about everything we do, we are a people built to never have to wait for more than a few seconds. How many of you remember old dial-up internet? Anybody remember that? Right? Oh my gosh, right? You'd log into the AOL account and you'd hear that stupid sound, right? And then you would see those words at the bottom of the page, buffering, 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 right? Right? Today, right? Today, my daughter has an iPhone, whatever, number there there is and if her phone glitches right and it takes her more than six seconds to load a picture she immediately says to me i need a new phone right i need a new phone right we don't even live in a world anymore where waiting in the drive-thru is what it used to be because now we can order ahead thanks to our phones and our apps And so we don't even have to get to the restaurant and wait. We don't even have to wait in line at Walmart anymore. You can order your stuff online. People will shop for you. You text them and then they just walk out to your car. Right? It's insane. We live in a world where waiting is just not something that we do. Right? I I went to... How many of you are happy with the Super Bowl outcome? Who was a 49ers fan? 49er fans? Right? Chief fans, right? Absolutely, right? So I went to Hooligans on Sunday to pick up some wings. I eat Hooligans all the time. I got, I got there. There were 25 people standing in line outside of Hooligans to pick up their wings. Right? So you know what I did? I said, I ain't waiting in that line. So I stayed in my car thinking if I, stood in my, if I stayed in my car a little bit, you know, the line would go down. And as I sat there, the line got bigger, right? And it got bigger. And I had to eventually get out of my car and stand in line and wait. It was exhausting, right? Like, it's, that's the first time I've stood in line for food in a long time, right? We're just not people prone to wait. And yet, here's the problem. Followers of Jesus who have life come at you, curveball after curveball after curveball. 
Part of our success in learning to live well as believers is we have to learn to wait. We just have to learn to wait on the Lord. I want to read a, I want to read a scripture to, or a uh, quote to you that John Piper had about waiting. He says this, or excuse me, this is the one. He says this about waiting. He said, God, God wants us to learn how to follow him and to put down our demanding selves. To calm that screaming child in us. One way he helps us to do this is to say the word wait. That miserable, uncomfortable, sometimes painful state of silence is one of God's most powerful tools to help us live free in Jesus. Right? Waiting. It's just, it's not, it's not our thing. So what I want to do is I just want to talk about waiting. How do you and I learn to do it better? Because my guess is all of you at times grow weary in waiting on God's timing. Right? Because you've prayed, you've asked, you've endured life's curveballs. You don't know what's taken so long. Right? It just doesn't make any sense. It's like sitting in traffic, not understanding why we're in traffic, knowing there's no wreck. And then you get up to the spot where it looked like traffic was stopped and there's nothing happening. Right? It just doesn't make any sense. And it's the same for so many of us, right? Some of you are living in that space in between now. The space of this is what I'm dealing with and where I'm going to go or what's going to happen. And God says, wait, right? So you've got a piece of paper there. I wrote just a few notes on there. Here's the first thing I want to talk about, right? Waiting, waiting is always ultimately about trust. Everybody say the word trust, right? All I know to do is just to, to, to make this practical in my life, right? Is to make this practical. Listen, I've got, I've got, have had five children. I've got seven grandchildren. My youngest daughter is going to be 17 next Wednesday. And she is never able to wait because she doesn't ever trust me, right? So this is what she'll do at bedtime, school night, 1030. Here she'll come dragging her laundry hamper across the kitchen floor, right? And she'll put it in the washing machine at 1030. I now know immediately, I now know immediately two things. She's not going to get up and put them in the dryer. Two, in about 15 minutes, she's going to text me from the hallway bedroom, as opposed to asking me, she's going to text me, hey, dad, will you take my clothes out of the washer and put them in the dryer? Right? Here's what I learned at the beginning of this little charade with Cana. She would often ask, and then guess what she would do? She would get up and put them in the dryer herself. Because at the core of her ask and her need to wait till the morning to find out if I did it, she had to trust me. She had to trust me. Now, I don't know about you, but not many things in the world make me more aggravated than my 17-year-old not trusting me, right? But here's what I was reminded. That waiting, when you say wait, when God says wait, listen, the underlying word that should always come across your mind is trust. Trust. Because listen, if you and I have no trust in God, that his ways are perfect, right? That he knows, right, that 
that what works out to His glory is always for our best glory, if we doubt the sufficiency of that, if we doubt the truth of that, we are always going to be bad waiters. Always going to be. Because here's what we're going to say in the waiting. I don't know if God's plan's plans better for me. I don't know if I can wait because I don't know if I can trust Him. And then you know what we're going to do? We're going to run ahead and make our own path. We're going to make our own way. Right? Here's what Proverbs says. Verse 3, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. This is where it gets complicated, right? You bring that verse up. Proverbs 3. I can see it. Right? Here we go. Trust in the Lord. Right? With all your heart. Everybody read this line with me. And lean not on your own understanding. Stop. Gives us the definition. What's the definition of trusting in the Lord? Not leaning on your own understanding. Listen, there are way too many people today in churches who say they trust God. But yet, if you watch the way they live and you watch curveballs come in their life, here's what you're going to find. They have a lot more confidence in their own understanding than they do in God's ways. Now listen, nobody says it's easy. If you're the, listen, if you're waiting after you've been diagnosed with cancer, if you're waiting to find out about your job, if you're waiting for a relationship that you hope comes to fruition, if you're waiting on some kind of financial windfall, if you're just waiting in the space in between, there's nothing easy about it. And it's impossible if there's no trust, Right? Listen, there is no way to wait for God on anything if the thing that drives you forward is your own understanding, right? You and I, when we trust God, listen, we can let go. We can let go. And listen, that, that was part of what I had to learn to, to, to be a pastor at Tomoka. I'm not, I didn't come to Tomoka as a person who didn't have his own understanding. I considered myself to be one of the smartest people I'd ever met, Right? I thought I could solve just about any problem. You know, and the, one of the things that I had to learn when I got here or as I got here was that sometimes what God wants me to do is just wait. Which means I have to have a lot more faith in Him, a lot more persuasion in Him than I do in my own understanding. And I can tell you, I can tell you from personal experience, learning to trust in God more than I trust in cord has changed everything about how patient I've become in waiting. I'm patient enough now that people around me get irritated, right? And I can tell you there is freedom and there is peace and there is joy in the process of learning that God's plans better. Listen, it doesn't change the curveball. My granddaughter still was diagnosed with leukemia, right? None of those things change about the life that you live, but it changes everything about how you handle the life that you've been given. And waiting requires trust. And listen, let's just be honest here. We're in church, right? You're watching online. You're part of this. Here's what the Bible says. Faith or trust or persuasion in God comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Listen, I love my phone. I love the access that it gives you. But if that phone is nothing more than to bring up a scripture during a sermon on a weekend or a Wednesday night, and you're not putting the Word of God into your life, you're not growing in your faith. You're not. Your faith can't grow by experiencing worship service. 
Your faith grows when you hear the words of God and watch Him stay faithful to those promises. When God keeps His promises, your faith grows. If you know nothing of God's promises, your faith can't grow. Can I get an amen? You and I need to be reading the Bible regularly. I don't care if it's a verse a day, it's a chapter a day, it's a book a day. You've got to find a way to put God's Word in. And listening to Joe read it on Sunday morning when you stand at attention isn't enough, right? There are so many things in life that come our way that require our ultimate trust in the one who gave us those curveballs. And how can you do that if you just don't know God and how he behaves in those circumstances, right? So you've got to get into God's word. It's why we believe in community groups where Bible's taught and people can connect and share those things. Because if you don't have a foundation of trust in the perfect God and his perfect ways and all of his promises, it's going to be really hard to sustain your faith, right? The second thing I want to point out is this, is that waiting needs the right hope. Right? I know you're tired of hearing about my 60-year-old daughter. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm tired of talking about her. Right? But she's, she's such a great example. She wants a car. She's got a license. And she's got a will to drive. Right? And she wants a car. We only have two cars and three licensed drivers in our house. Right? And every time she asks me about a car, here's what I say to her. Honey, just wait. I'll get you one. <laughs> of course, no, you're not. You're never going to get me a car. You're just going to say it. You're never going to get me a car. Right? Because here's the thing, you can't ever get to hope and the right object of hope unless you have trust. But once you have trust, then you can focus on hope, right? If my daughter trusted me when I said to her, we'll get you a car by your birthday on February the 12th, if my daughter trusted me, then she could put her hope in the car that she's going to get. Because the car is still unseen. It's a thing to hope for, right? You see how this works? Trust allows you and I to have hope. And if there's one thing that characterizes our world today, and especially a generation of millennials, a generation of those they call Z, here's what you know. They are losing hope. They're losing hope. Because the Bible says what we all know to be true. Hope is an anchor. It's an anchor. We know our hope is in Jesus and he's our anchor, but the premise is true whether you're a Christian or not. If you don't have any hope, you don't have an anchor. And if you don't have an anchor, you're liable to drift when the waves come in and they come crashing ashore and life throws you curveballs. You're going to have to have an anchor. And the reality is this, that without hope, without hope, man, how do you wait? How do you wait without an anchor? Right? How do you stand up to the storms of life without an anchor? And here's the thing. You can't get an anchor if you got no faith. Because my daughter hasn't even focused on the car she wants. Because she's so consumed with the fact that she doesn't trust the person she's in the relationship with to keep his promises. Her hope is gone. Right? How many people do you think come to church? How many of you have come to church with no hope? How many of you have watched online and had no hope? How many of you are doing it right now? Right? And listen, the minute hope is gone, the first thing you need to check is, do I have faith in God? Do I trust Him? Because if you have, listen, I can't give you hope. We counsel people, we talk to people, we preach, we teach. We can't give it to you. 
your hope has to be in something bigger, better, and stronger. Right? And the only way to do that is to trust. Because trust allows you and I to focus on the right hope. My daughter's focus is completely wrong. So when she gets her car on her birthday, she's going to be, one, surprised, and two, she's going to be disappointed. And here's what she's going to be disappointed in. I didn't believe. I didn't believe him. I didn't believe that was going to happen. And I guarantee you, it will minimize her joy for a season. That's the same way with us, right? Listen, life isn't easy for anybody in this room. It isn't easy for anybody who's watching online. But the reality is that hope provides us an anchor that keeps us from being consumed by the curveballs of life. Amen, church? And then this. Listen, waiting requires patience. There's a shock, right? The Greek word for, the Greek word for patience in the New Testament is a combination of two words, and here's what it basically means. It means to take a long time to express your anger. That's what patience is. It's creating a space that is long between when you want to blow up and when you finally blow up. That's what patience is. In the terms of waiting, right, that's the patience. Let's read the passage in James. Here we go. That's what it says. James chapter 5 or 7. Everybody say the first two words. Be. Let's say it again. Be patient. Then, brothers and sisters, he's talking to all of us. Right? Be patient until the Lord's coming. Right? So here's, here's, your, here's your hope. Right? Here's your hope. Our hope is, is that Jesus is coming back someday. And all of this life that has all of these stinking curveballs is going to be gone. And it's going to be nothing but fastballs from here on out. Can I get an amen? Right? That's our hope. But that hope is nothing if you don't trust that God's word about Jesus returning is true. So he says to us, listen, our patience, our patience is built on this unyielding hope that Jesus is coming back. And some people say, well, listen, if that's all we got in this world, listen, you've lived it long enough. What else in this world could you count on? Right? I mean, our world is so devoid of hope. We say things like this. The only things in this world you can count on are death and taxes. Right? What a pathetic description of our world today. Right? It used to be three things you could count on. Death, taxes, and the Cubs not winning a World Series. Not anymore, right? But if you have hope that this world ends and the next one comes and we're a part of it for eternity and it's perfect without curveballs, I don't know about you, but there are days that is the only hope that gets me through. Right? We want hope in changed circumstances. But every time, Every time the word wait is used in the New Testament, it always talks about us waiting for the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It always talks about the end. So James says this, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Listen, you're going to have to build a long bridge between the time you want to explode in this world that has curveballs until the expression of that red-hot anger. And he says this, see how the farmer waits. Right? See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Patiently, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. 
The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Listen, trust in a God who's perfect and whose ways are perfect for you and whose timing is perfect allows you and I to put our hope on the right thing. And when we have a hope that is an anchor to our life, and when curveballs comes, it cannot be moved, you and I can learn to wait patiently. It's impossible to be patient without an anchor. It's impossible to ride out a curveball in a storm of life if you have no anchor. You get irritated, and you get anxious, and you get worried. And the next thing you know, you're leaning on your own understanding, and you're trying to row your own boat in the middle of a storm. All the while screaming in this, Listen, Jesus is the only answer. Our only hope is in him. And meanwhile, you have paddled away from that shore in your own boat and your own understanding. And your children and your grandchildren are watching going, how, how do those two things coexist? How can you claim so much faith in this? And yet when life comes at you, you don't have any way to connect yourself to it. It just teaches a false gospel. And here's the last thing. The last thing is this. Waiting isn't a solo sport. This was my favorite part. Waiting isn't a solo sport. Let's read Psalm 27. Hear my voice when I call, Lord, David writes, and be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. His, his own heart's telling him, seek God, go after him. Your face, Lord, I'll seek. Don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me. God, my Savior, though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord, and lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spewing malicious, or spouting malicious accusations. He said this, I'll remain confident of this. I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. There's what I love about that verse, that Hebrew word for wait. It's the idea of bonding two things together. And you do so by twisting them together. Right? So on a loaf of bread, there's a, there's a little metal thing that twists together around to keep the bread closer. Everybody got that picture, right? That's sort of the picture here, right? Listen, the only way to really wait... Well, it's to never wait alone. You've got to be bound together. Another Hebrew word for wait is the idea of being pierced through. How many of you have pierced ears in here? How many of you are wearing earrings currently that are through your piercing, right? Here's what you know. The only way that earring works to where it stays and waits in your ear until you take it out is that it's pierced through and has an anchor on the other side. And as long as it's pierced through and anchored, how long can it stay there? Forever. That's the Hebrew word for wait. Listen, here's the best part about waiting. When you wait with somebody, you can wait forever. And the devil is such, listen, if he knows you already struggle trust in God, 
And you love implementing your own understanding, which allows you to never have the right focus of hope, which means you can't be patient. The last thing you, the last thing you're generally going to do, last thing you generally are going to do is do it with somebody else. You're going to do it alone. Waiting is not designed to be solo. It's designed to be done together. You and I have a powerful ally in each other when it comes to dealing with life's curveballs. And listen, we've got to stop being so weird about who we, who we find our strength in. Listen, I love my children, but I can tell you right now, I have no answers. I don't have answers for every problem in their life. There are other people that God can use at different seasons to be the best thing for them, and it might not be me. Can I get an amen? We have to stop worrying about those things, right? Listen, I can tell you right now, my children have more influence over than each other in our family than I do. I got to learn to be comfortable with that because here's what I know. Life's going to throw curveballs and they're going to want to isolate themselves. They're going to want to pull away. They're going to want to hide and tell everybody, oh, it's fine. How are you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And just lie and lie and lie and yet claim a Bible that says, speak the truth in love. We're just so hypocritical at times. When in reality, there's somebody, just somebody that you can wait patiently with. Just to tell them. Somebody that you can be twisted together to. Somebody that you can be pierced through together with so that the waiting becomes possible. Listen, I've told you guys about my friend Jason. We've prayed for him. We've, I've talked about him. Jason decided to give his life to the Lord in service 20 years ago when we were neighbors. And I watched God just open the door for Jason to go to Bible college. I watched Jason buy a stupid sign at a hardware store and stick it in the front yard of his house, one-sided, handwritten, in small letter, for sale, because he didn't want to go. Two days later, a guy said, I've been waiting for you to put this house on market for five years. Paid him in cash his full price that day. God just opened the door, he went there. Jason went to Bible college. Two years later, he was driving to a small town in southern Illinois every Sunday preaching the gospel and decided he was tired of being poor. Quit Bible college and got himself a real job making real money. And for 17 years, he has ran from the Lord. It's been a tough thing to wait with him. But God's word is this. My call, God says, is irrevocable. And I've told Jason for 17 years, the call on God's, God's call on your life to be in ministry and to preach ain't ever going to go away. He ain't bought it. And he's ran and ran and ran. It's been, it's been no fun. Eight months ago, he got, a, he got a Facebook private message from a guy he went to Bible college with. Guy said, heard about a church in Mattoon, Illinois, 40 minutes from where Jason grew up. Said, I think church would be good for you. Eight months ago, my friend Jason was in no place to be a pastor. He wasn't waiting well at all. And let me just say that to you. Listen, waiting well isn't the important part. Waiting to get you from point A to point B is. Abraham waited 25 years for a baby. He didn't always wait well. Can I get an amen? Right? We got to get rid of the church nonsense that, listen, the only way waiting works is you got to wait well. 
you parent children, right? You tell them to wait and they stomp their feet and they cry, they scream and they holler. It's just like the, it's like the marshmallow thing. Did any of those kids wait well? No, but did they get to the end to get the extra marshmallow? Yes, right? So he waited, Jason waited. And he was, he was, he moved to Oklahoma. Last year he flipped out, said he couldn't live there anymore and wanted to go home. So I flew to Oklahoma and we drove through the night. And we, we, we moved him to Newton. He lived in Newton and it, terrible old rundown house in the dead of winter spring came and his wife said i can't do this anymore i don't want to live here anymore jason said i'm so sorry i brought you i've taken your life away and he called me and we packed him back up and we moved him to oklahoma they got to oklahoma and three months into oklahoma they're like god we shouldn't be here right and god said wait and for about a week they waited really well and then after that, they got really angry, especially my friend. And he got really dark and he got really depressed. And then his wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. And her insurance is there and her job is there and her treatment's there. All the while, seven months later, the church in the middle of Southern Illinois in Mattoon, Illinois called him and said, Hey, we'd like to interview you for the pastor job here. There are days in the process where he would be calling me and screaming and cursing and yelling and crying, not understanding why God told him to wait. Days where he couldn't pay his bill. Days where he had no money to pay his rent. Days where he didn't know how they were ever going to buy uh, Christmas for their kids. And God just said, wait. And so Jason filled out papers and he waited poorly at times and he did a video interview and he waited more poorly at times and then he had to fly over there and meet him and he waited more poorly after that two weeks ago the church called jason and said you've been the guy that god has told us to pick from the very beginning but he told us to wait to do it <laughs> and so they did they waited two weekends ago they flew jason and his wife michelle and their two kids to illinois to meet the church and to preach. And the church overwhelmingly confirmed him as their new pastor. Amen. And all I know is this, that God's a God you can trust. Because 20 years ago, he told my friend, you've been called into the ministry, pastoral ministry, preaching ministry. And he never changed his mind about it. And let me tell you, Jason is not the most qualified man in the world to be in the pulpit. And I can say that because we've been friends for 23 years. But God's promise made him qualified and it keeps him qualified. And when Jason heard about the job opportunity, God had him wait eight months. And it was a brutal existence. And life threw curveball after curveball after curveball. And last weekend, he preached his first sermon as the lead pastor at Smizer Christian Church. And the only thing he can say to me is, I just don't understand it. I don't get it. I'll be honest with you, I don't either. But I know this, like what Piper said, God wants us to trust in him. And one of the most powerful ways he does it is he uses one of the worst four-letter words in the world. He says, wait. Just wait. Listen, you can't wait if you don't trust God. And you can't trust God if you don't know him. And the only way to know him is to read a story. Right? Because once you get trust, you can have hope. And man, hope doesn't disappoint. Right? It's the anchor that keeps our soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Right? 
And then once you have hope, you can endure. You can have perseverance and patience. You can learn how to keep the expression of your frustration and anger at bay. And that, that can allow you to find a friend and be twisted together and pierced together to wait, to wait, and to wait, and to wait. And I can tell you this, wasn't anybody in the world more overjoyed about the news that God kept that promise to Jason and Michelle than I was because I got to have a front row seat at it. So when you get to be that person for other people, man, there's, there's joy in that. And some of you, listen, some of you are in a waiting season and the worst thing you're doing is you're doing it alone. And I hope that God moves you to connect you to somebody, just somebody to be the thing that you, that you bind yourself to so you can survive in the moment. You can survive day to day through the process because it matters. Because here's the thing that none of us are going to escape. God's going to always ask us to wait because sometimes it's the only way God's ever going to know whether we trust him or not. Amen, church? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for keeping your promise to my friend Jason. And I pray that through the span of that 20 years when you first called him to the time he stands in that pulpit next Sunday as the official pastor of that church that what he'll take away from that moment is is that you're a God who keeps your word so Lord I pray for our church I pray for our family here I pray that as we deal with a broken world that is groaning for redemption falling apart along the way where the devil is at work deceiving and creating chaos Lord, I, I pray that we'll be a people who learn how to wait as you direct us. So build our faith, increase our faith, so that we can focus on hope that never disappoints. It allows us to be people who persevere and never give up. And Father, for those that are in here alone, trying to deal with life, and I pray that you would twist them together with somebody and make it possible for them to wait so they don't have to wait alone. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church.